Kisat Podcast Network. In episode 12, Paul and Amy welcome guest Billy Joe Smith, a fellow Mindy and MI practitioner. They collectively explore the value of MI coaching and feedback, as well as finding a community of MI mentors. For episode resources, contact us, and other information, please visit the Lions and Tigers and Bears MI website at nfartet.org forward slash MI podcast. That's N-F-A-R-T-E-C dot org forward slash MI podcast. and Tigers and Bears, MI, an interactive podcast focused on the evidence-based practice of motivational interviewing, a method of communication that guides toward behavior change while honoring autonomy. I'm Amy Shanahan. And I'm Paul Warren. And we've worked together over the past 10 years. We've been facilitating MI learning collaboratives and providing trainings and coaching sessions focused on the adoption and refinement of MI. We're also members of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. Join us in this adventure into the forest where we explore and get curious about what lies behind the curtain of MI. Hey, Paul. Hello, Amy. How are you today? I'm doing well. You? I'm great, thanks. And I'm so excited because we have our first guest to Lions and Tigers and Bears, Am I? Oh, I'm excited too. It's taking so perhaps, us back to the beginning, taking us back to the forest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe we should introduce Billy Joe and then explain what we mean by taking us back to the forest. Yeah. What do you think? Hey, Billy Joe. Hi, Amy. Hi, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited and honored to be the first guest of Lions and Tigers and Bears MI. We're so thrilled to have you. We are. So what do you think about the forest, Billy Joe? What does that make make you think about when we talk about the forest? Well, I mean, I think that when we talk about the forest in relation to Wizard of Oz, and I may be way off track here, uh, but it's part of the journey, right, to get uh, to the final destination. And if I remember correctly, I think it's one of the scariest, right? So there's a lot of stuff that happens in the woods, um, including the lion, some very scary monkeys. Um, and for me, when if I try to put that in terms of motivational interviewing, I think my learning journey sometimes feels like you're in the woods, right? It's scary. There's things in there. Um, and yet, I think we find a lot of value. Dorothy met a lot of really valuable people mm. in the forest. Um, and it was all part of that kind of progression to get where she was trying to go and so sometimes we just we can get ourselves a little psyched out by the things that might be in the forest but it can be so helpful nice nice articulated summary about how it plays into our mi practice and in the beginning i mentioned when we began together paul you and some others uh started 
practicing together and how I felt scared practicing in front of each other. And then, you know, towards the kind of towards the end of the scene, when the characters are leaving the forest, they lock arms, right? They're together. Like, so you said, meeting other people along the way uh, to help you along. So it's, it's apropos for our topic today. What do you think, Paul? I agree. I think it's absolutely apropos for our topic today. And I, I really appreciate that when you and I started having conversations about this podcast, Amy, it, it really came back to you and, and brought it back very strongly to me that, you know, MI is something that I really took a risk and learned with other people. And, mm -hmm. and like Billy Joe was saying, that was scary at first. And then it sort of got more comfortable after we sort of locked arms and were able to collaborate together. Yeah. I think it's that desire, like you connect with the ideas and the pieces of motivational interviewing. You start to see how it might work uh, with the work that we do or even just communicating with other people. Uh, and there's this desire to be good. And as Amy mentioned, kind of the fear of sitting in front of your peers and other people and thinking like, oh, my gosh, they're so good. Like, how did they know how to say that there? Mm -hmm. Um and to allow yourself to be vulnerable to that, those experiences and those coaching moments in order to enhance your own skills along the way. And, you know, that's why we felt, given that this is sort of the conclusion of our second cycle of the podcast, that it would be helpful to have an episode that really focuses on coaching and how coaching, although scary, for the coach as well as the coached can be a, a really rich opportunity to enhance and refine and really build a, a collaborative partnership with somebody or with a learning community. You know, I'm wondering if, if each of you have had the experience, and I know we've talked about it in previous episodes about people coming to the trainings that we provide. I already, I'm already doing this. I just want to polish up. Same thing with maybe the same concept with coaching. People might say, well, I don't really need that. I'm, I'm good. I got this. I'm, I'm practicing. I've been doing it. And now I'm, I'm just really cognizant that I'm practicing. I'm good. Have you heard that? What do you think about that? I think that I've had some of those experiences in my, when I had the opportunity to coach folks. Um, and for some folks, yes, maybe that is accurate. They're using, utilizing motivational interviewing um, already and, and maybe don't quite see how the coaching is going to help. Um, and for other folks, they felt like they were using MI and maybe they were using pieces um, and having the opportunity in that coaching, in those coaching moments to grow those skills or identify ways in which they might be more MI consistent. Um, and so creating a, a safe space, but having a conversation about that with people. I mean, I don't know, Paul, what's your experience been like? Very similar. And I, I'm going to speak about it from sort of the, the individual perspective, as well as kind of the organizational perspective, 
because similar to you, I've had individuals. And again, I like the way Amy put it. I've had individuals say like coaching, why do I need coaching? I'm doing, am I, I use open-ended questions all the time. <laughs> and, and again, I can understand why people think that because training often emphasizes the core communication skills and it doesn't, uh, necessarily help people to consider the intentionality of the use of those skills and the connection of those skills to an identified behavioral change goal. Mm. I also think organizationally, it's interesting because organizations will be like, well, why do we need coaching? We, we had people go through a two-hour training and MI is so simple, clearly they know what they're doing. And again, I think it's important to acknowledge that that's the perception that people have and that organizations or administrators have, and to kind of help them to explore that actually motivational interviewing is deceptively simple and far more complex than just executing an open-ended question. Mm -hmm. And that really for anybody who's using it, uh, even somebody who considers themselves or would qualify as proficient, you know, using a coding instrument, there's a great benefit to working with a coach or learning community so that you can refine what it is you're doing, because it's something that you can work on and grow your whole lifetime using it. And Paul, as you speak, it reminds me of a conversation that the three of us were fortunate enough to have with Stephen Rolnick. Um, and so I asked him about, you know, what might a practitioner want to focus on as they learn and grow their skills? I was thinking about somebody early to MI, um, and Stephen talked about how it wasn't even just for beginning practitioners, and he disclosed himself as one of the co-founders of Motivational Interviewing, that he was being too clever with it. And he didn't feel as though he was doing um, some of his best MI work. And so to be able to kind of scale it back and go back to just this idea of coaching and really kind of taking a look at what it is that we're doing or what we're hearing others do and identify ways that we can grow particular skills and maybe you know, areas of growth for us, things that maybe we want to change or consider cutting back on or, and so it was really powerful and moving for me to hear that Steve Rolnick has things that he's still working on. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, I think it creates, it makes the forest a little bit not as scary if we know that Steve Rolnick is also in the forest with us. You know, we, we always compare to musicians and, and there is a classical musician. I don't remember his name. Maybe, Paul, it'll come up to, with you or or Billy Joe that, that in his 80s, he was still practicing. And he said, you know, I think I might get a little better kind of concept. Like you think this eminent musician no, no longer needs to practice and, and very similarly to MI. No, I need to continue to practice, just like Steve said. Paul, I'm so um, happy you brought up the organizational aspect, which I'm anticipating some future episodes that we could dive deeper into that. And I think about how when organizations are more involved, mm. there seems to be 
a bit more momentum and I'm trying to stay focused because it could be such a wide variety of conversations. But really, I remember my boss back in the day when Billy Joe and I were still working together said, what should I, why should I care about motivational interviewing? Why should I attend one of your sessions? And I said, that's really important. It's helpful that you're supporting this initiative that we're doing, practicing together. What would be even stronger is if you were a part of it and you too were learning some aspects. I said, at least <laughs> uh, it might help you become a better listener. So even the administrative person was wondering why should she be a part of this or why should she learn about it? And I also got into deeper conversations about mm. perhaps she can help coach me to be a better practitioner. So it's really just having that conversation about how it can benefit the organization. I often think that a lot of the time uh, with administrators, uh, clearly their plates are very full. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes their concern about, and I'm going to frame it this way, post-training activities, such as booster training, such as coaching, such as maybe coding, such as maybe an organizational learning community or a programmatic learning community. I think their concern is the investment of resources, a mm -hmm. lot of, and the mm -hmm. investment of the time of the staff. So they think, okay, well, I just spent X amount of dollars to provide this training for the staff, and now they should be able to do it and use it. Right. And it, again, I think it's helping folks to understand that it's not that simple. And if you really want your team to be able to effectively employ motivational interviewing when it's appropriate for a behavior change conversation mm -hmm. or to adopt an MI spirited approach, it really does require post-training support. And yes, that is an that can be an investment of resources. And ultimately it can pay off in more effective service provision, helping participants, clients, patients reach the goals that they actually set for themselves. You know, it, it takes me down the path of measuring and data and getting support from the organization around post-training coaching and, and Billy Joe, I'm wondering if you remember some things that happened in our organization around collecting data which eventually the president and CEO said when we showed him that data, why aren't we doing this everywhere? Yeah, it was part of our learning, right? So as Paul had mentioned, we started out by training the staff in the skills. And then we measured it by creating uh, MI scripts for different scenarios. So things like individuals coming in for intakes, we wanted to see if the use of motivational interviewing would increase the likelihood that individuals would make it to their second appointment. 
Uh, we also used it measuring as a bridge from an inpatient setting to outpatient, as we knew that the follow through rate there was also uh, not where we would like it. You know, we want to help connect people. And again, using those motivational interviewing scripts, we're able to measure if we saw a change from the time we started using um, MI until, you know, the current current moment we presented the data. And as Amy alluded, the answer to it was yes. By working with staff and myself included, I was part of this, this initiative, um, measuring proficiency at the time we were using the MIA step um, as a way to check on the proficiency of our skills and using that as coaching and supervision settings, and then tracking to see if people were in fact showing to those follow-up appointments. And we did see in that project that the show rates increased and by a good amount, right? We're, we're talking about potentially 30% or more of an increase of individuals showing. And Paul, you talk about, you know, the administration wanting that investment, mm -hmm. having that kind of data to say that the use of this as a conversation style is in fact increasing the likelihood that individuals may remain engaged with our program and benefiting from our services. Billy Joe, could I ask you a question about uh, the instrument that you use? Because you mentioned the MIA step. Sure. And I'm wondering, the reason I'm curious about that is because a, a program that I've worked on, our Training and Practice Implementation Institute, we started using MIA step. And we found with our practitioners that actually it was too nuanced of an instrument to really support them where they were in their current learning process with motivational interviewing. And we switched actually to coding with the mighty, which uses, of course, the four global measures and the, the behavior counts. Uh, so I'm curious as to what your experience of using me as step was like with your folks. Well, I think we had a similar experience, Paul. So for me, as the coach providing the feedback, I was familiar with the form. I kind of understood those nuances a little bit um, to simply provide that to a uh, an individual who was being coached, it did seem a little too much in the weeds. And so one, it affected my coaching style. How could I take the information and make it valuable to the person uh, that I was coaching? Mm -hmm. And also having a consideration of, is this the most appropriate tool for the outcome that we were looking to achieve? And similarly, we moved away from the MIA step as well and moved to the Mighty as a coding tool for coaching sessions. Uh, but I think it really does come into how the coaching is done, how we mm -hmm. have those interactions with the folks that we coach. You know, I'm wondering, given what you just said, if it might be helpful for us to talk a little bit now about sort of the coaching structure in terms mm. of, you know, and I, again, I really appreciate, you know, you talked about how you structured the coaching in order to make the feedback more meaningful to the learner, as opposed to them maybe being overwhelmed, 
you know, by 16 codable items, 10 <laughs> MI congruent, six MI incongruent. Three and, duplications. And, yeah. And again, it's it's a it's a wonderful instrument and maybe more appropriate for people who are further along in their path toward proficiency uh, and refinement. So uh, I'm wondering maybe if we could talk a little bit about uh, sort of the style with which, or our thoughts about maybe some of the best practices in terms of, you know, being a coach and working with someone who has agreed to open themselves up to having their practice reviewed, perhaps Mm -hmm. coded, and then engage in a conversation about that. I could start if that's okay. Um, I, I had the opportunity to work with a group in a rural community in Pennsylvania. And I realized exposing them to the mighty, the instrument I was using first and explaining what, what we were looking for, what we we're talking about. And I think the one thing that stands out to me, I believe it's the, the item persuasion is not necessarily a topic that we cover in training So I thought it was important to talk about the aspects of things that I would be giving them feedback on Mm. and then explicitly letting people know what a coaching session would look like. So for example, I often, and I would let them know, I will start off by asking you to reflect back on the session, the tape, however, whether it was a live observation or a recorded tape for you to reflect back on what you noticed. What did you find? What were your strengths? So, so definitely strength-based and then asking the opportunities question, uh, what would you like to see differently? What might you have done better? Was there something that you missed? Were there questions you have? So really letting them know that that's the way the conversation would flow. Mm-hmm. And then that I would certainly ask permission if it's okay, I'm going to provide you with my feedback and observations, and then end with asking them what they think about it and what do they think they might do next. So always anchoring it with what they think. A lot of times my in my experience, when I do it that way, they often say, as we know from MI, they have it within them they often say the things that I'm going to give them feedback for anyway, not exclusively, not, not everything, Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of things that I wouldn't have to cover. So I just fill in the blanks sometimes. And Amy, as you're describing it, I think about the importance of us demonstrating the MI skills in that coaching session. Mm -hmm. So allowing the individual to explore their needs, their areas of growth out of the gate, asking them their thoughts, asking for permission to provide any feedback that we might have or thoughts that we might have. And then, of course, that last part of the ask, tell, ask, circling back around to say, hey, what did you think about that? Or what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Um, and then even even the four processes are coming to mind, you know, as we move through it, then what's the plan? You know, we get to the end of this coaching session to be able to say, so based on the things that we talked about today, mm-hmm. what do you think? 
some next steps might be mm -hmm. for you, for us, because this is a collaborative process mm -hmm. in continuing to, to grow and benefit from these coaching sessions. Yeah. Mm. You know, it, it, I really appreciate the practicality of what both of you were saying, because, you know, Amy, you made it very clear that you want the the person who's going to receive feedback to understand the framework yes. within which they're going to be given feedback mm -hmm. and, and and again helping them to understand that and and again we're also talking about sort of the parallel process of that the coaching session really wants to be a modeling of Am I congruent interaction? Because again, the behavioral change goal is focusing on improving, refining, acknowledging the strengths of one's current practice, mm -hmm. and then making a decision about what you're going to focus on going forward. Yeah. Feedback is so important. And I, I don't know about you two, but in my experience, um, I don't say this lightly. I'm very passionate about it. I think that there are people that struggle with providing affirmative and critical and strength-based feedback in a way that a person can receive it. So um, I think maybe it's a cultural thing for me or a historical thing, you know, uh, well, Amy, you were supposed to do this. You didn't do that. Uh, why didn't you do this? This is how you can make it better, or this is what was right or wrong. So that that's my mental model, maybe school-based kind of stuff. I'm old. People can't see how old I am, but hopefully teachers aren't like that anymore. But <laughs> you have a very young voice though, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's and I, I just think that some people struggle with giving quality and strength-based feedback. And I'm very sensitive to that. And I'm making a sweeping generalization. You know, I'm struck by that because I would also go out on a limb. Well, maybe it's not really going out on a limb, but I would also add <laughs> that sometimes those who are open to coaching are invested in focusing on what they think they did wrong. Wrong. Mm -hmm. And and again, I don't think that's necessarily their fault. I think in some ways we associate feedback and quote unquote criticism with something negative. And again, I think the beauty of an effective coaching model is that we start with the strengths because clearly you're bringing some strengths to this particular conversation. And, and that's not, that's not trying to sugarcoat something, mm -hmm. you know, we're really looking for strengths and we're also collaboratively exploring growth opportunities, opportunities for refinement. So it, it's not about what you did wrong or what was bad. And yes, there may be growth opportunities that you'll choose to focus on. And I'll give a concrete example because you know, feedback really has to be specific in mm -hmm. order for it to be effective. So uh, an example sometimes that's come up in coaching sessions that I've had the opportunity to do is folks will rely a lot on questions and the use of questions as opposed to considering reflections 
and using reflections instead of questions. And that's, I love talking about that with somebody who's interested because then we can use it as a collaborative practice opportunity. You know, and I was thinking about the second piece of the opportunities is evoking from the person what they think. And I think of a specific coaching session where I asked the person I was coaching, uh, what did she notice uh, as opportunities for her to focus on or to consider? And she brought up her own internal desire to want to persuade the person excuse me, to do something to better their health, for example. And she said, I just have this overwhelming feeling to want to persuade them. And that was really a focus of her practice for quite some time. And it was her choice. And, and, and I think that that gains a lot of momentum because maybe in my mind, I thought, Hmm, maybe she could benefit from practicing more reflections instead of questions. She chose to focus on reducing her persuasion, her use of persuasion. And we explored how she would consider doing that. What are some things? And then of course I'd use the ask, tell, ask and offer some suggestions, but she was even more invested in her own practice because she knew what was a gap for her and she knew what she wanted to focus on. And it was already there within her and she knew where she wanted to go. And one of the things that kind of stands out to me, again, goes back to this idea of the parallel process. I immediately was um, struck by something that Paul had said in terms of things being good or bad. And one of the things I think that we try to do when we do trainings is talk about that the things that we're talking about, it's not this makes it good. And if you do this, then this is bad. Um, because we can use the skills in in whatever way suits the conversation and helps kind of move it through. But really looking at these things might be, am I consistent? And these areas may be more, am I inconsistent? And how might we be able to bring in some of these things um, to make it maybe a little bit more, am I consistent in the conversation versus, you know, you really did you did that and that was not good. That was bad. And so just kind of setting up that structure of the session again to say like, we're going to, this is going to be a collaborative process. We're in this together. And it's not about find, taking an opportunity to point out things that you do bad, but maybe identifying th things that you could do to make it more MI consistent or to enhance those skills. You know, I don't know if either of you have had this experience, and I imagine you have, but I don't want to make that assumption, which is that oftentimes when I'm in a coaching session and I start with strengths, the person will have some sort of reaction to hearing their own strengths or some sort of desire to be like, okay, but I, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And I'm wondering if, if you've had that dynamic or if that's played out in, in any of your sessions. Well, if it's okay, I'll talk about my own experience as someone being coached, taking the opportunity to learn. Um, in one of our learning communities, 
I decided that it would be a nice opportunity to allow others to listen to one of my taped sessions. I actually picked the one that I used uh, to apply for the Mint and everybody was going to practice coding and then we were going to do feedback. And going into it, I remember telling Amy, like, I feel nauseous, like physically <laughs> ill because it was that that anxiety producing and Paul, to your point, as people start to provide lead out with strengths, what's going through my mind is, yeah, but yeah, but because what I heard when I listened to my own tape was, oh, why did I say that there? Or, geez, could you ask, could you have asked another question? Or, wow, you missed that change talk opportunity. And so I find that for myself and maybe others have similar experiences, we tend to be a little bit more critical of ourselves mm. than maybe others would be. Mm. You know, you make yet another great point or argument for <laughs> the coaching process yeah. because our own self-distortion perhaps, mm -hmm. and maybe that's too strong of a way to put it, but our own or my own, let me keep the focus on myself, my own uh, resistance to acknowledging like, well, you know, maybe I did do something effective there. Uh, you know, a coach can help me to maybe take that in, in a way uh, that's going to open me up more than focusing on like what I didn't do well. You know, and to your question in my experience, I think like Billy Joe said, I've, I've experienced people, especially that you've been able to work with over time, you find that cadence and that dance that initially, yes, when you provide the strengths, there's some yes budding going on, sometimes overtly, not just in their heads. And over time, it feels like they're actually open to it. They're open to whatever it is that you see. They feel safer. They feel more comfortable. And I was curious, um, before you even said that, Billy Joe, about your feeling a little nauseous, I was going to ask you both about that very thing. Like, when do you recall, if at all, the, the transition shifts for you in coaching, getting coached yourself, that you feel comfortable and safe? And, and I'll answer my own question right out of the gate when I had a mentor in the Mint Plus program uh, through the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. Um, my coach and I, I, I remember feeling a connection right out of the gate and, and that was the engaging aspects. And it felt more like a partnership than it did a teacher student. And I think that helped me go along and trust the criticism or the areas for strength never really felt like a conversation about areas for strength. It's, it was more of well, I've tried this in the past, or what have you tried? And it was a collaborative dancing conversation. Um, and that's when I felt most in my stride being coached and less fearful and anxious. I think for myself, maybe, um, maybe it's gotten a little easier and yet still I have a level of anxiety. I feel very blessed to have opportunities to practice, and I've met a lot of people through my own interest in growing my skills and being coached. Um, and yet I think there's still a part of me that because this is so important to me, 
that I just I want to be good and I worry Look, there's that word good even though I just said we don't say things are good or bad <laughs> somewhere in my brain it's still about being good mm-hmm. um you caught it yeah absolutely and then putting yourself in that vulnerable spot to know that like oh what if I mess up because I might because I probably will because I'm human um so I think there's still a level of anxiety, but I think it just gets easier over time. I, I, I think I've accepted it. Mm. Oh, what about what about you? I'm so glad you said that because I don't feel alone now that I still feel some anxiety about it as well. Um, and maybe that's just human nature. Uh, you know, the thought that was going through my mind is, you know, when I when I am observed by a, a colleague I respect, or uh, you know, I, I I'm letting people that I respect and trust listen to a recording that I've done, a little bit of that fraud syndrome comes up Mm. for me. Like Mm -hmm. I'm sort of like, well, you know, do I really know what I'm doing here and what are they going to say? And, and and I appreciate what Amy just said a moment ago about the idea of trust, because I've had the opportunity, certainly with both of you and with other folks that I can sort of trust that no matter what, your feedback is going to be that we're co-learning together. You may be the coach Mm -hmm. and you're also learning. And I may be the person who's receiving your coaching and I'm learning too, and we're learning together. Uh, And that, you know, being in that walking side by side partnership helps me to realize that, you know, I I'm just where I am in my my learning process. And, you know, Amy is where she is. Billy Joe is where she is. And we're just looking at this together. And I don't want to be the odd person out to say that I don't ever feel angst for sure. <laughs> I, I, my, my imposter syndrome sometimes is bigger than me. <laughs> I do think though, Paul, as you talk about it, the you know, to point out what Amy said, it's about trust, that collaborative relationship, mm-hmm. that locking arms as we're leaving mm-hmm. the forest, because uh, we're all learning together. And to be able to take the opportunity as someone being coached or as the coach to say, this is a learning opportunity and both of us are in it together. So it's not just you as the one being coached that's that the heat is on. This is this is us together in this process. And that can be really helpful. Maybe it wasn't about acceptance. It was about feeling safe. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's feeling safe allows me to be vulnerable. Right. I mean, that's probably the most obvious, uh, you know, concept in the world. And it, it's, you know, it's a very true and real concept for me in terms of being in the coaching process and being a coach as well. Which underscores the importance of a coach modeling the MI mm-hmm. when someone is feeling vulnerable and nervous, mm-hmm. being able to be compassionate about that and affirming their strengths. You know, I was curious, um, I was thinking about benefits from coaching and I'm wondering if you have any instances that stand out because, you know, I really like Billy Joe that you highlighted the good, bad syndrome, because that helps quiet sometimes my inner critic, uh, because it's, I just want to become more consistent. And I remember one of the benefits that stands out to me is one of my coaches highlighted something, a habit of mine that I would use the phrase, 
get people to do something so much that I didn't even realize I was using the phrase. And I was, I said, I don't want to get people to do anything. Why are you giving me that feedback? He said, you just said it. I said, I did. Like, I didn't even hear myself use that phrase. And then on the positive side, hearing people catch and give feedback back to what positive habits they hear about, you know, me observing body language, that that's a, I never even get, got feedback like that before, or a coach that gave me feedback about my cadence in my tone of voice at the time or throughout the recording. So I'm just curious what, what stands out to you as having been beneficial feedback that you've gotten and, you know, either way. I think for me, similar to your experience, Amy, is one of the benefits is maybe drawing attention to things I didn't realize that I was doing or happen. Um, and one of the folks that I received, maybe the feedback from was cheerleading. You know, I, I really wanted to be strength based, um, point out strengths, affirm <laughs> positive things. Um, and there was a way that I could do that in a more am I efficient way. However, at the time I thought like, yeah, this is great. Um, and probably didn't realize what I was doing or to the extent to which I was doing this mm. cheer, cheerleading, hurrah, good job, well done type of thing. Um, and so by receiving that feedback, it created an opportunity where I became more aware and cognizant of it and then gave me the platform to utilize what I had learned in my trainings of how to make a stronger, more am I consistent affirmation, really being specific, really focusing on the individual strengths and not so much my thoughts or judgments on mm. the things that they had done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I, when Amy asked this question, two very specific things like shot into my head. Your eyes lit up. <laughs> they, yes. And, and again, you probably can't hear that over the radio, but, <laughs> but I'm glad that Amy pointed that out because thing one is, and it's a phrase that, that I, I find very resonant for myself, that a great musician knows when not to play their instrument. And what that, the, what that feedback meant to me was, Paul, sometimes it's more effective if you say nothing. Mm. And, and I think I, given I'm, I'm trained as a social worker, I think I felt a certain pressure that I was supposed to say something. Mm. And there are moments and and I love these moments when they happen in an MI conversation when really all that's required is my my attention I don't need to verbalize anything mm -hmm. so that's some very specific feedback that I got that was very helpful and then the second thing is and this is probably going to be no surprise to either of you or anybody listening to this I can at times be overly verbose. Hmm. And I have received feedback that I've really tried to take to heart that I can make shorter summaries. My reflections can be shorter and they can be more articulate that way and less 
they can take up less space and invite more from the other person. Mm. Love that. Thing one and thing two is the next <laughs> podcast going to be Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Absolutely. I was, I was going to say, I think we left the land of Oz and headed, <laughs> headed in some other direction. Uh, oh, the I, places you'll go. <laughs> Maybe that's the next podcast. Love it. Love it. That's go. my favorite book. It's a great book. Yeah. Uh, I love those examples. They're actually hearing your examples helps me to check myself because I'm definitely over verbose for sure. I get feedback a lot that I add too much, but I really appreciate you offering the specific examples. Well, again, I think it speaks to the the benefits of not only being the coached, but also coaching Mm -hmm. because we can learn from what we're hearing from other people, from the feedback, from their feedback on, um, you know, their taped session or interaction. And then we can think about those things within ourselves, right? So as you're talking, Amy, or you were talking, Paul, I thought, yeah, you know, think about how often you're speaking or when it's best to not say anything at all. Or, and so even in those moments as a coach, we can still get benefit and help to enhance our own use of motivational interviewing. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. So, you know, we started together, we're wrapping up our 12th episode together, which is really cool. So 12 years ago, is that right, Billy Joe? My fish keeps getting bigger, but I think 12 is about accurate. Amy, for the first (laughs) time ever, 12 is exactly correct. (laughs) So 12 years ago, we locked arms together. And on our 12th episode, we're locking arms to have this conversation. I so appreciate the history and, and the being on this path with you both for all these years, I'm curious what what next steps would you give for listeners around how they might start their journey in practicing? And, and one thing I'm really sensitive about is people who may not have exposure to maybe someone who's really proficient in MI, maybe they just have a colleague or two that's that they went to a training with, but what are some thoughts that you have for listeners about how they can o- overcome some of their um, maybe barriers to committing to or considering coaching? It's always their choice, right? I, I mean, one that I can throw out that pops into my head, and I'm so glad you asked this question, Amy, is we've spent a lot of time talking about sort of one-on-one coaching. Mm -hmm. And I want to underline that one of the things that I have found really beneficial and and how our relationship actually started, I guess, 12 years ago, uh, was that we were in a group together and we were in a group of peers. We had a learning community Mm -hmm. that was working together. So Sometimes a way into individual coaching can be working with a learning community that you, you know, and, and that is with colleagues that, you know, maybe are at the same level that you are, and that's great. And simply having a conversation, exploring either a recording or a transcript together or, or talking about the different components of motivational interviewing together 
keeps the conversation and keeps the reflection on the practice alive. And that can be sometimes a, a really uh, supportive way to move into potentially engaging a one-on-one -on -one coach. Mm. Yeah, and Paul, I think you bring up a good point that it doesn't necessarily have to be something very structured, formal, and set up, you know, so you could find a colleague or a person that you know that has a similar interest in learning more or exploring more about motivational interviewing and being able to tap into each other's desire to grow can be a really nice way to start a learning community of your own. Um, and I think there's such a vast amount of individuals that I probably didn't even know existed that share that same passion for motivational interviewing outside of our own world. And so trying to find an opportunity to connect with folks that maybe you don't sit next to at the office and say, hey, you know, would you be interested in working together or starting a, a group of individuals that just want to practice together? Um, and that can create an environment where coaching and growth can happen. So you both covered the kind of the group processing and going back to the individual aspects of it. I, I was thinking about ways that um, I took leaps and and reaching out and emailing people that maybe I admired or witnessed or observed and asked them for some feedback or asked them for some resources, perhaps as part of my coaching. So it's not always a, a long-term relationship at times. So I, I would say that I have a pocket full of coaches. <laughs> um, so the other thing is Kasat, uh, the folks that are putting on this podcast, offer some follow-up coach coaching sessions to trainees. So there's opportunities there where you can take the risk and, and reach out and get some coaching that way. And, and like you both said, just really observing and asking for some feedback from some colleagues as well. You know, I thought of one other way too, and, and I've had this experience and I know that both of you also train motivational mm. interviewing in addition to doing coaching. And I have to say, as a trainer of MI, uh, somebody who has the opportunity to engage in learning community conversations about motivational interviewing with folks that are at, in, you know, that know a lot about motivational interviewing, don't know a whole lot about motivational interviewing. I have found that offering the training has also been a wonderful kind of coaching opportunity for me because it exposes me to different perspectives or ways of thinking about motivational interviewing. So and I'm, I'm helping people to understand MI, but I'm also simultaneously learning from them and being coached mm. in that dialogue. Sure. Yeah. And, and Paul, I also think that another way that folks could uh, create their own coaching would be to talk with folks that are doing trainings, right? I was fortunate in that when I walked into my position, it was very obvious that there was also a group of people that 
wanted to learn more and were passionate about MI. And so I easily stepped into that. But as Amy had mentioned, like in the question, not everybody has that vast network. Um, And so for folks who maybe can't identify or haven't identified somebody in their, their vicinity that would be interested, being able to approach a trainer that is doing motivational interviewing to say like, hey, you know, I, I really liked what we talked about today, I would like more. Do you have any suggestions? Um, Because I think that the community of individuals that I've been fortunate enough to encounter, not just in my own practice and learning communities, but within Mint, you can, as Amy mentioned, email a person that wrote an article that really resonated with you. And that individual seems helpful Mm -hmm. in connecting. And so, for a person straight out of the gate to be able to walk up to a trainer and say like, Hey, how can I do more of this could be helpful. You know, I think had it not been for our collaboration, I don't know if I would have ever felt comfortable emailing Stephen Rolnick and saying, Hey, would you be willing to, you know, talk with a couple of us and let us ask you some questions? I mean, Stephen Rolnick, one of the co-creators of motivational interviewing. And again, uh, astoundingly, he was so generous and so open and entertained our questions. And, you know, because I'm part of a community, I felt like, you know, we're all on the same page here. It's it's perfectly okay to ask for help in regard to this. Yeah, those are great points. The the community is so giving. And the important thing is, is I would assume, I don't want to speak for the whole community of MI practitioners, uh, really know that our own practice is important. So when we teach, we learn. When we coach, we learn. So it's really helpful when people reach out. I, I feel honored when people reach out and ask for feedback or just a question and or for coaching. Because hmm. I know that I'm going to benefit from that opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here we are. It seems that we're at the conclusion, at least of this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, I I feel that it's so fitting that, that Billy Joe is here. And certainly it makes me also think of the other folks that were, were with us at that, that beginning place. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are, what sort of final reflections you might have about our conversation or about coaching? I think one thing that stands out to me is both sides of the coin, right? As a coach, to continue to be aware and mindful of how much it benefits my own MI skill and practice and how valuable that relationship can be. And then from the individual being coached side of it to to have an understanding of my level of anxiety that based on this conversation we had today is not, it's not just me. I'm not the only one with the imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. Um, and how to be, how to utilize that in a way to continue to grow my skills, right. To be open to feedback, to be excited about feedback because it will help me grow um, and to not 
Yeah, but the strengths as well, that there are strengths there and to embrace all of it in one big package and really get the total, the total benefits of the coaching experience. Mm. I feel like saying ditto. It was well said. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. Ditto, ditto, ditto. <laughs> I, I think the thing that was standing out to me was to be mindful of complacency. Um uh, that sometimes I can feel like get into my comfortable shoes and, and not reach out for it. And, and we, we, before we started recording, Billy Joe welcomed me back into a practice group uh, that I used to be a part of. And, and I was a little nervous going back in after being out. So not getting too complacent and, and because that inner critic kind of can grow, uh, with gaps of time, uh, in between coaching sessions. So really, um, not being too hard on ourselves as well and not mm -hmm. getting stuck in my comfortable shoes. Yeah. You know, I, I think the, the thing that I'm mindful of, and again, especially because I have this privilege to talk with the both of you is that, you know, am I is not something you do alone. It's something that it's a conversation with somebody else. And, you know, my growth, uh, letting go of some of my anxiety and my growth with MI has really come out of talking with people that I can trust and that I feel I can be vulnerable with. Uh, and, it's it's a very unique experience because I think it is easy to get isolated and to feel like you're alone in this. Mm -hmm. And MI really invites the opportunity for the coach, for the coached to, to be in a conversation with somebody and to be part of something that's bigger than just me. So I really uh, am so thankful to have had the opportunity to talk with both of you about this and, and feel really um, free and uh, not self-critical mm -hmm. participating in this conversation. Yeah, I feel privileged as well. And so well, happy thank to be back, back together with you. And thank you both for allowing me to be a part of this conversation today. Uh, it, again, continues to ignite my own flame for motivational interviewing and to continue to grow and practice as a practitioner and coach. So thank you both. Thanks, Billy Joe, for being yeah. our guest. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to episode 12 of Lions and Tigers and Bears, Am I? Be on the lookout for more episodes soon. Cassette Podcast Network. This podcast has been brought to you by the Cassatt Podcast Network, located within the Center for the Application of Substance Abuse Technologies at the University of Nevada, Reno. For more podcasts, information, and resources, visit cassatt.org.